0: Daniel chapter number 10, if you found it, say amen. amen. We are in lesson four of building a prayer life, and that's Daniel 10, verses 10 through 13. And that's where we're gonna to start tonight. The Bible says, And behold, a an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, For unto thee am I now sent, and when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words." That's a powerful, it's a powerful phrase from the first day. Everybody say the first first day from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and 20 days. But, lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. It's an interesting passage of Scripture. And uh, we're going to talk about this, use it as a little bit of a launching pad as we talk about lesson four. I want to talk tonight about building a prayer life. Building a prayer life. Lord, I thank you, God, for your goodness and mercy for your people. God, I thank you, Lord, for all those that are here in our class tonight for all of our classes that are taking place throughout our campus and also for those that are working so hard to be ready for a conference tomorrow night God I pray that you bless our time together bless our online audience in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen Amen. God bless you you can be seated in every area of life there is terminology that's particular to that field if you were in aerodynamics and flight, there are terms like attitude and altitude and pitch and roll and lift and drag that are all particular to things that relate to aerodynamics. In geology, they use terms like alluvial or chert, dendric and imbrication. I only know what one of those means, but, uh, but those are words that are common to that field. If you were in, uh, if you were in competitive racing of boats, like Olympic racing, they have terms like sculling and coxswain and rigor, and all those things mean something to people that are in that field. In theology, in theology, there's terminology like hermeneutics and homiletics and exegesis and eisegesis and and words that are particular. To, to those particular fields. Well, we, have, we have our own language in Pentecost. As apostolic Pentecostals, we say things that we know what we mean, but everybody that listens doesn't necessarily know what we mean. Like when we say the phrase, give God glory, we, mean, we know we mean that means to praise God. But for someone that's not familiar with our terminology, they, they don't really know what we're talking about. When uh, in and in, in the in the southern churches, this is not really a, a thing up north, but uh, but in the south, when we say we had a shouting service, what did we mean by that? I mean, everybody was out in the aisles, running around, shouting, dancing, but shouting actually means with your voice, doesn't it? Isn't that- and so when we say shouting services and you have somebody, like if we say a shouting service, we have a preacher from Michigan, he's not going to know what, we're, he's going to think we stood around and just yelled at each other. And we might do that too. But my point is that, that we have terminology that everyone is not familiar with. And so what brought this to my attention was a couple of years ago, we had a new member in the church and I was teaching him a Bible study, and we were, we were talking about things. And I made the comment about you're, if you're going to make it living for God, you're going to have to have a prayer life. And, and I saw that look of confusion, and I realized he doesn't know what I mean by prayer life. He doesn't understand the terminology I'm using. And so I asked him, I said, do you know what I mean when I say a prayer life? He said, no, I really, I don't. I don't really know what you're trying to say and so I explained it and so I want to talk about building a prayer life so when we use the word when I talk about building a prayer life what I'm talking about is building into your life a practice of prayer a daily consistent practice of prayer someone's prayer life includes their habits their schedule their methodology uh, when they pray, where they pray, some people like to walk, some people like to kneel, some people like to sit, some like morning prayer. Uh, some people, you know, I like to get up early in the morning before everyone else in my house wakes up, which isn't hard to do because I'm the only one that likes to wake up early. And, but, but I know some preachers, like an evangelist, when church is over, they're so wound up, they can't hardly sleep. And so their prayer time is, is midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. If I'm up at that time, it's because I woke up with something on my mind. And so when I'm talking about prayer life, what I'm talking about is building into your life a habit and a methodology and schedule and frequency of prayer. I will tell you tonight that prayer is to the soul what breath is to the body. If you can imagine what it's like trying to hold your breath for a long period of time if you could try to imagine what it would be like to not be able to get a breath, that's how your soul feels if you don't pray. Prayer is the breath of the soul. A person that does not pray has a soul that is not breathing. And so if you were to ask me three things that someone must do to survive as a Christian, I thought about this. I spent some time thinking if somebody asked me what three things do I have to do if I want to survive as a Christian. I would say that you need to read or listen to the word of God. Number two, you need to be faithful to church. And number three, you need to pray every day. And so, did you notice on that first one I said listen or read Anybody catch that? I said, listen or read the word of God. Um, I was talking to somebody. They called me, uh, I guess it was Monday maybe. It might have been Tuesday. And uh, and we were having a conversation about some struggles that they're having in their life. And, uh, and they talked about getting so busy. You know, they wake up and they have a plan to read the Bible and they get so busy and then... You know, they, they, they run late for work, they get out the door, they're running down the road, then they, well, I'll read it at lunch, and then lunch, something comes up, they, they don't, and then they'll, well, I'll do it later, and then they go to bed at night, and they, they feel guilty because they didn't read the Bible. And so I was telling them, I said, do you, I said, so, so let me ask you this, do you feel guilty when you listen to the Bible on an app or on, I, I think I said on tape, that showed how old I am, um, some of the young folks are in because they're not having class tonight they when i said on tape they don't know what i meant um it's like an mp3 except it was plastic and you held it in your hand and uh and i said do you feel guilty when you listen to it like on a bible app or something and he said yeah i do i said i said well i want to help you with something do you realize that when the bible was written about 90 percent of the population could not read They reading until the last 300 years of human history reading was not necessarily considered essential and so the bible was written and so when you go to the bible and i and and i'm getting sidetracked and that's okay because i mean if you want to come up and do this you can and i'll let you get sidetracked but uh but but you remember the story in john chapter number four when the bible said that jesus went to the synagogue and he stood up for to read you know why he stood up to read Because if somebody didn't read, most of the congregation wouldn't be able to get the word of God in them. And so they started every meeting by reading the word so that the people could hear the word because they couldn't read it. As a matter of fact, the, the preamble, the first few verses of the epistle of 1 John was actually written specifically to be read to people. And so, so you don't need to feel bad. What I'm trying to tell you is you don't need to feel bad because a lot of us that were raised like I was read your Bible every day, read your Bible every day, read your Bible every day. Well, I felt guilty when I would go down the road and play it on the Bible app, but you know what? That's, what almost everybody in the early church did somebody read it to them what i'm trying to say is if you want to make it as a christian you got to get the word in you and if you're struggling to sit down and read it then open it up on your app play it on the way to work play it while you're doing but but somehow get the word of god in you every day be faithful to church and pray every day if you do those three things i promise you you can make it prayer is essential to the survival of your soul the first thing you have to remember in building a prayer life is that prayer is a battle say that with me prayer is a battle the enemy fights prayer more than he fights just about anything else amen prayer invites god into your situations and circumstances Prayer welcomes God into your lives and the lives of your family members and your world. Prayer submits your life to God. Prayer is an act of faith. People who don't pray, don't pray because they don't believe that God will do anything about it or that it will do any good. And so prayer is essential to making it as a Christian. In the book of Daniel, God's people were in Babylon. They were captives in Babylon. The strategy of Babylon was not to kill their enemies; it was to assimilate them. When they went, they went to Jerusalem. They took the best and they brought us. If you, they took Ezekiel and they took Daniel and they took they took the three Hebrew boys and they took these 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 all of them and and their plan was let's not kill them let's make them egypt let's make them babylonians let's let them let's make them learn to live like us act like us and then we can use their talents and abilities can i tell you that's the strategy of the world the world wants to assimilate you into its culture wants to make you a babylonian if you will and so Daniel was watching as God's people began to be more Babylonian than they were Christian, than they were Hebrew rather. And their customs, their way of life, their their lifestyle began to be less like God's people and more like Babylonians. And it troubled the heart of Daniel. And so in the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel is deeply troubled. And he begins to seek God. Here's what the Bible says, Daniel 10. Verse two and verse three. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. For 21 days, for 21 days, Daniel mourned and prayed. He ate no meat, no pleasant bread or wine. He was fasting and praying For God to move after three weeks. He had a mighty encounter with the angel of the Lord Daniel 10 beginning at verse 10 And behold a hand touched me which set me on my knees and upon the palms of my hands And he said unto me O Daniel a man greatly beloved understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent? And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, fear not, Daniel. Now notice this phrase. From the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. From the first day. When you prayed, God heard you. From the, everybody say, from the, from the first day. And I am come for thy words. The angel said, Daniel, you prayed. And the first day you started praying, you were heard. And God sent me because you were praying. Man, that's a powerful message from an angel of the Lord. From the first day you began to pray and fast, God heard you. The angel said, i am come for your words. You know what? I want to give God a reason to send an angel into my life. I want him to come for my words, for the things that I prayed. He said, because you prayed, I'm here. Here's my question. If his prayers were heard on the first day he prayed, and the angel was sent because of his prayers. What happened on the other 20 days? So the Bible said it was 21 days, right? And the angel said, You were heard on the first day. Well, why did it take the other 20 days for him to get there? Here's what he said. He said, I had I had to fight with the prince of Persia. Now, this this, this passage is not talking about like the royal family, you know, that has the crown on their head. This is talking about a demonic principality and power over the nation of Persia. It was, a, it was a demonic spirit that had rule in that realm over the nation of Persia. You know, when you say, well, I fought the devil, well, you probably didn't because there's only one devil and he's not omnipresent, he's not everywhere. It's highly unlikely that any of us have ever had an encounter with the devil now have we fought devils yeah but but not probably probably not the devil and so the kingdom of darkness and i we don't have time to get on someday maybe we'll do a series on spiritual warfare and if we do We'll, we'll talk about how the Bible said, the apostle said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. And so the kingdom of darkness is divided, apparently, into regions and into areas. And this prince of Persia was over the nation of Persia. And when Daniel prayed on the first day, everybody say, on the first day. On the first day, God heard him. For 20 days, there was a war in heaven Not for the prayer to be heard, but for the answer to get through. When you pray, the moment you pray, God hears your prayers. Sometimes it takes a while for the answer to make it through. But don't quit praying because God's hearing your prayers. The angel said, on the first day you prayed, your prayer was heard. He said, but I got in this spiritual war with this power of darkness that you're praying against. He said, and the angel Michael had to come help me so I could get through and bring the answer to you. My point in talking about this is that you need to know that prayer is fought by the devil. The kingdom of darkness wants to fight prayer. Now, why, why would the enemy fight prayer? Why would the enemy fight prayer? Anybody? Because it's powerful, right? You fight prayer because the devil fights prayer because prayer is powerful. If it wasn't powerful, he wouldn't fight it. If it didn't make a difference, he wouldn't fight to keep you from praying. I would say that if I, that, that if I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you have struggled to have consistent prayer, almost everyone in this room would raise their hand because the enemy fights prayer. I couldn't tell you, I could tell you, and I, I guess I'm going to, that uh, over, the last, over the last 10 days or so, I've had more people from the church call me and say, pastor, I'm struggling to pray. I'm struggling to pray. I'm, it's a battle for me to pray. I'm struggling to be consistent in prayer. And, and, uh, and you know, we planned these lessons. I started announcing these lessons months ago, weeks ago, weeks ago. And, and so God knows exactly where we're going to be. And he knew exactly what your struggles were going to be when he sent the word and planned it for you. God knew you were going to struggle with your prayer life, and so he sent a word in advance to help you with prayer. But you've got to understand that there's a reason the devil fights prayer. There's a reason that he doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to take the time to talk to God because he knows he can't stop prayer. He might be able to delay the answer a little bit, but he can't stop the power of prayer. Amen. And so the answer was what took time to get through, not the prayer. The reason prayer is fought is because prayer is powerful. Things happen when we pray. Amen. Things happen when God's people pray. While we are praying, there are spiritual powers moving and acting based on the prayers that we pray. If you can imagine Daniel 21 days, 21 days praying and fasting. And on the first day it's heard. But on those other 20 days, he's, he's seeking God. And he's thinking, God is not doing any good. I'm praying and I'm fasting. I'm praying and I'm fasting and nothing's happening. I'm not hearing from God. Nothing's getting through. I feel like I'm wasting my time. But what did Daniel do? He kept on praying. And while Daniel's praying in the unseen realm, there's angels and demonic powers in, in warfare over the over the things that Daniel's praying about. There's things that move in the spirit realm when you pray. And you need to make sure that you are adding to what God's doing. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if the angels were on the sideline because we weren't praying them into action? Amen. There's power when you pray. I want you to take your hand, and I want you to put it on your chest, and I want you to say, there's power when I pray. When you pray, God hears it. When you pray, it starts to move things in the spirit realm. Oh, praise God. There's no such thing as a prayer that doesn't get through. The devil can fight the answer, but he can't fight your prayer, so just keep on praying. Anything powerful enough to engage angels and demons in battle is something that's powerful and we need to engage in prayer. Your prayer life is important. It makes a difference. It does make things happen. So the enemy fights you having a consistent prayer life, but you have to fight for your prayer life. Let's go to 1 Peter 4 and 7. I want to I want to get moving a little quicker here if I can because I got a lot of things I want to cover. 1 Peter 4 and 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That, that, That phrase, watch unto prayer, means be diligent about praying. Be determined to pray. Be mindful about prayer. Prayer is warfare. And so there's a war that you're going to have to fight if you're going to pray consistently. Everybody say I'm going to watch unto prayer. Watch Ephesians 6:18 praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Again, he said, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. You have to persevere to pray. You have to be persistent. You have to be dedicated to prayer. Prayer is considered a spiritual discipline. There's there's several great books on spiritual disciplines. One's written by Donald Whitney. Um, There's several. Nathan Whitley who interned here. Uh, Years ago before he was married wrote a great book on the lost art of spiritual disciplines. You can buy it on Amazon Um, But but prayer is a discipline prayer is a discipline So a discipline is the act of forcing yourself to do What you know you need to do? How many of you have uh, raised children? There's hands how many of you raised boys how many of your boys love taking a bath? <laughs> man, boys are stinky. I had, I had a parent that, that said a few weeks ago, they said, man, I cannot get my kid to take a bath. I'm like, someday he'll meet a girl and she'll get him to take a bath. But, you know, boys don't like to quit playing and go wash the dirt off so what do you have to do as a parent what do you have to do as a parent you have to to make it happen don't you right I got tickled the other night brother brother Ethan and and sister Anna's little little girl Mila Ethan tried to trick her into eating some broccoli and uh, it got in her mouth and she realized what it was and she just kind of like let it hang out there for a while you know we we had a guy a friend of mine his name was russell he was a sports writer he covered college football recruiting um for the rivals network and i got to be friends with him i met him got to be friends with him he started coming to church and it was while we were remodeling and we were in the gym he came and we baptized him he got the holy ghost and uh And he ended up moving. God restored his marriage. He moved back to Ohio. God restored his marriage. Man, God did great things for Russell. But uh, but my my wife and I always used to tease him because he ate like a two year old. I mean, he ate Jolly Ranchers and cereal. I mean, that's all he ever ate. I'm like, you know, he ate like a like a baby. And, and I said at some point you're going to have to eat something decent you know, you're going to have to eat like real food but he was happy with gummy worms and stuff <laughs> at some point his mom didn't make him learn how to eat real food and so at some point you're going to have to discipline yourself to pray you're just gonna to have to make up your mind. I'm gonna be a man of prayer. I'm gonna be a woman of prayer. I'm going to be a person that prays. And it's a discipline, you have to do it. It's a discipline, you have to train yourself that I'm going to carve out time somehow, some way, every day to pray. You've got to watch, it said, watch thereunto with all perseverance. You just gotta make it a priority. You got to make it something you have to do. It's just part of life. So you watch with all perseverance. It's alright? And so you have to discipline yourself to pray. You have to make it important enough to do it every day. You have to understand that prayer is powerful enough to move angels and demons and involve God in your life and then, it's, then if it's that powerful then it's powerful enough for me to need to make it a priority in life. That said, one thing that I want you to remember, I want you to remember that prayer is a discipline, but prayer does not always have to be formal. All right? Can I, just, can I just talk to you from my heart a little bit? Because I think one of the reasons why we struggle to pray so much is we have made it ritualistic, where we feel like that if that I have to talk King James Bible talk. It doesn't count if I don't, you know, like take a whole lot of, you know, we have this formalization of it. And listen, there are times when you're just gonna have to put everything else away and spend some real time seeking God. That's gonna happen. You're gonna have situations in life that's gonna come up that you're not just gonna be able to deal with it while you're driving down the road. You're not just gonna be able to deal with it just when you're looking in the refrigerator and it pops into your mind. There are some times you're just gonna have to carve out time and say, God, my, my kids are in trouble. I need to spend some time. But, if, but your prayer time does not always have to be that formal. One of the things that I think will really help us in our prayer life is if we remove some of the formality from it. Prayer is a daily, ongoing conversation with God that starts when you wake up and ends when you go to sleep. And, you know, if most of you are married i hope you know i hope so since you're sitting with people that you go home with every day so so here's the thing if you did if if you if you told your wife i'm going to talk to you in the morning from 6 to 7 every day and then the rest of the day you're on your own you're going to have a great marriage for about two days and then it's gonna be over. How do you think, those of you that are fathers, when, when, when your children, when they, if they call and they say, okay, dad, I can talk to you between nine and 9.30 on, on, on three days a week, and that's that's all the communication we're going to have it's not much of, it's not much of a real relationship is it and so what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to break our mentality that prayer has to be formal all the time it's a conversation prayer is a conversation that begins in the morning and ends when you go to sleep and it happens throughout the day so if we can remove, it doesn't have to be confined to strict rules and schedules all the time. Prayer is most effective when it's part of our everyday life. I'll be driving down the road. I did this, I did this the other day. I was driving down the road and I had something that's really been on my mind for some time, for, for quite some time. And I was just going down the road and I just told God, I said, Lord, if you'd have told me 20 years ago that I was going to do this, I'd have said no. It was just one thing that's been on my mind I didn't stop and pull over and say oh thou heavenly father that looks lookest down upon me from heaven with thy loving eyes thy merciful gracious father please if thou would if I wouldest have known I'm just driving down the road I didn't even warm God up and say hey God I got something to say I just said God I need you to help me with this I don't know what to do I don't, know, I, don't know what the, I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what the right move is. If I knew the right move, I, I just don't know. So God, I'm just going to ask you. And then I got that off my mind. I felt better. And I went on and I, I listened to my podcast 20 more minutes or so. And then I got something else on my mind. I said, hey, God, um, I really need you to speak to me about something. My point is that it's just a, an ongoing daily conversation with God. I wanna help you build a prayer life. And one of the ways to really build an effective prayer life is to remove the constant ritual from it. Many people have found the acronym ACTS to be helpful in prayer. Have Anybody ever heard that, praying the ACTS prayer? Sister Wilson maybe a few others. The A stands for adoration. The C stands for confession. The T stands for thanksgiving, and the, R, the S stands for supplication. And so adoration is an attitude of worship and praise. It's characterized by love and reverence towards God. Praising God is an element of our daily prayer life. The psalmist said in Psalms 104 and 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. He's talking to God. He's telling God, Lord, you're great. You're awesome. You're amazing. And it's this act of adoration. What, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Remember the first thing he said? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not his name, not talking about him, talking to him. The act of adoration, taking time. Just to tell God how wonderful you think He is, Amen. I remember I, my when uh, Ellie she's she's sitting back here and uh, when she was a little girl, we had a lady in the hospital up at DeSoto County and and uh, and I knew I knew that that I knew that this little old lady loved my my daughter. Ellie was probably maybe four, probably more like three, and. Uh, and so bit of those beautiful blue eyes and, and I knew that this old lady would love to have Ellie come up and so I, I took Ellie up there and I was carrying her in my arms and we went in and we visited the lady and, and we're coming out of the hospital and, and, uh, and we're walking towards the car and she takes that little hand and she rubs my face and she says you're the best best daddy in the whole wide world and I'm like oh this is wonderful and then she said now will you take me to mcdonald's she was buttering me up i mean she was just working me how many of you can how many of you fathers have a similar story of a time when your child said something that just it's like I'll never forget it I might not have been the best best daddy in the whole whole wide world the whole whole world but I felt like it at that moment you know what God likes to be told how wonderful that we think he is and so adoration confession confession is going to God in humility and confessing our sins. The reason I'm doing this, Acts, because we're a Book of Acts church. Maybe it will help stick in our mind. And when when you're trying to pray and you're like, Lord, what do I say? Well, maybe you'll remember Acts and say, well, adoration, I'm going to praise him for a minute. Then confession. Confession is going to God in humility and confessing our sins, our trials, our worries, our fears. It's not listen, it's just confessing, I've been, I've been a horrible person today, God. It's, God, I don't know what to do. I'm confessing to you right now. I don't have the answer. I'm worried about this. I'm feeling stressed about that. I have anxiety about this situation. It's just confessing to him what's on our mind and on our heart. It does include confessing our sins and repenting. Can I tell you that one of the greatest weapons that the devil has is condemnation? When we confess to God, it cleanses our soul and mind. It allows us to get things out of our mind and spirit that convict us and cause us to hide from his presence. When we know we have something in our life that's against God's will, and that is against his word, we tend to hide from his presence, don't we? Can we have a a season of honesty? How many of you... Have had a time in your life when you knew you were doing things you shouldn't do and so you, met, you, you didn't come to church on purpose because you knew you'd feel conviction when you got there? Or during a worship service you sort of held back because when you got in his presence it was like he was shining the light and you felt dirty and guilty? That's not conviction, that's condemnation. Conviction is the spirit of God. That when you do something you shouldn't do, the Holy Ghost says you shouldn't do that. And it brings you to repentance. And when you repent, how many of you ever repented of something and still felt just as dirty when it was after you repented than you did before? That's condemnation, not conviction. Conviction is a work of the Spirit that brings you to repentance, condemnation is a work of the enemy. That even after you repent, he tries to beat you down with it and tell you how no good you are and how unworthy you are. Condemnation is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. Now, we, the, the human reaction to sin in God's presence, this, this condemnation reaction goes all the way back to the first sin. Genesis 3, 6 through 10 And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. By the way, that's why I believe it was a fig that they ate, not an apple because they didn't sew apple leaves together. So as 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 soon as they realized... That they were naked they grabbed the closest thing they could it's immaterial but just a thought where was i that's why these bible studies get so long they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons verse 8 and they heard the voice of the lord god walking in the garden in the cool of the day and adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the lord god among the trees of the garden and the lord called unto adam and said unto him where art thou and he said i heard thy voice in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked and i hid myself his sin caused him to avoid the presence of god where the day before the presence of god and the voice of god would have drawn him now because sin has entered the equation Now he finds himself hiding from it, hiding from God, because that's what condemnation does. Condemnation wants to hide from God because that that feeling of guilt, God, when I heard your voice, I hid myself from you because I was afraid because I was naked. My condemnation caused me to hide from you. So confession, when you come to God and you say, God, Look, I know I messed up. I'm not proud of it, but I'm owning it right now. You know what you're doing? You're removing the sting of condemnation. When the presence of God and the voice of God comes to you, by confession, you're removing that sting and you're standing before the God that wants to cover you adam and eve covered themselves the best way they could with with fig leaves and god said that's not good enough god didn't god didn't beat them down you know what he did he slew an animal and he covered them with skins because god didn't want to destroy them god wanted to cover them and so it's important for us to know that when we feel like god wants to judge us the best thing we can do is come to him and let him cover us he'd rather cover you than destroy you can we go on a little bit psalms 19 and 14 let the words of my mouth these are things that i pray i pray this verse all the time because i don't want condemnation to cause me to hide from god so here's i pray this let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O lord my strength and redeemer god help me help my heart let the things that i say and the things that i that i dwell on in my heart Let them be right, God, because I don't want something between me and you. I pray it regularly. Here's here's something, if you've listened to me pray much, you probably have heard me say it over the years. I pray regularly, God, let my convictions be stronger than my temptations. God, I need you. I confess, I need you to help me. Let's go on. Thanksgiving, ACT, Thanksgiving, beyond adoration, we should be sure to thank God for the things that he does in our lives. Thanksgiving is an offering we give to God. It's a verbal offering that we give him for the things that he does. I could never repay him monetarily for whatever, if you could put a monetary value on waking up in the morning and my heart still beating and lungs, my lungs still inflating and the blood still, if you could somehow quantify a monetary amount that you could pay God back, you couldn't pay enough money for life. But one, the offering I pay him For the things that he does that I could never financially afford, I pay him with my thanksgiving. God, I thank you. When when psychology researchers did studies on how to be happy, there's a great book by Sean Acor called The How of Happiness. And uh, they did research. These are not Christians. These are secular scientists and psychologists and psychiatrists. They found that one key to happiness was to be thankful. They said that you can literally reprogram your brain from negativity to a more positive mindset by practicing thankfulness. In one study, they had subjects write down three things every single day they were thankful for. And in 28 days, their mental outlook had improved across the board just from adding consistent thankfulness. So I'm going to ask you to choose at least three things every day to tell God you're thankful for. I want you to think of something in your family, in your personal life. I want you to think of something spiritual. I don't want you just to say, okay, God, thank you for pork chops, chicken, and steak. I want you to to put more thought into it. God, thank you for saving me. God, I'm thankful that you, that, that you sent your gospel to me so I could be saved. God, I thank you because you have provided for my needs. God, I thank you because you have blessed my family. Three things, three different things every day. And, and if you'll do it for 28 days, the scientists say it will reprogram your mind to a more positive mindset. And so finally, the last part of the acronym ACTS is supplication. Supplication and prayer is when we come to God and we ask him for things. Now, do you notice that, the, that us asking for stuff comes at the end? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and now we're asking God, God, I need you to do this. God, I'm asking you to bless me with this. And And... I'm not saying that you have to take an hour every day to do this, but I'm saying is if you'll practice these things in your daily prayer life. Let's, let's go. Let, let, me, let me take a few minutes here before I go to go ahead and make. If I haven't made you mad yet, here's my chance. 1 Peter 3 and 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of God of life, that your prayers be not hindered. If you ladies don't say amen, I'm going to be mad at you. 1 Peter 3 and 7, the New Living Translation says it this way, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I thought I was going to sleep good tonight, and here I am. All the women say amen. Amen. All right, so let's go back up two verses, to verse 5 and 6. I told you I'm going to make everybody mad before I get out of here. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now all you men say praise the Lord. You ladies were awfully quiet on that last one. You were, amen, and uh, but now, then you got quiet. You guys were quiet, and now you're like, yeah, that's right, preacher. <laughs> so what's the takeaway from these three verses in regard to prayer? If you don't treat, treat each other properly and respectfully, and build a biblically based marriage your prayer life will always struggle your prayers will be hindered the word hindered means to frustrate it actually means to cut down like a tree so when you don't treat your spouse well and then you pray it's like you're cutting your prayers down like a tree well praise god y'all want a preacher or a pastor put more time into trying to work it out than you do in trying to win an argument. That your prayers be not hindered. How many want your prayers to work? If you want your prayers to work, you got to treat each other right. Praise God. I can tell I stepped, went too far. Well, since I've already gone too far, I might as well finish it and drive the nail home. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What's that? What do we call that prayer? The Lord's Prayer. Do you know that that when he said amen, he didn't stop talking? Do you know he kept on talking? Do you want to know what else he said the next two verses? Or do you want... All right, well, let's look at it then. For if he forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you're going to have a good prayer life, you're going to have to keep bitterness and malice out of your heart. There's things that I think I have out of my spirit and under the blood. That I'll be driving down the road and all of a sudden it'll come to my mind and I'll get mad all over again. And I have to beat it back under. But I cannot give in to the human desire for vengeance and bitterness if I want to have a prayer life. Because that person that I'm struggling to forgive may not even be thinking about me at all. but it affects how God forgives me. And so I'm not hurting anybody but myself by holding on to offenses and bitterness. And so if I really want to have a good prayer life, I've got to deal with the offenses and the bitterness that's in my life because the Bible says that if I forgive, God will forgive me. But if I forgive not, neither will my heavenly Father forgive me and so my prayers become locked up God help me one more one more passage and i'm almost i'll, I'll be done Hebrews 4:14 4, through 15 See last week they were out working while i was teaching i got done a little early and so all the workers tried to leave so they want me to teach a little longer so they can work longer tonight get more get more stuff out of them Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 and 15 seeing them that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The writer describes Jesus as our great high priest. And he says this, he, he describes him as one who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Infirmities here is an interesting word because in our modern terminology, when we say infirmities, what, what, when I say that infirmity, what do you think I'm talking about? Sickness, right? Physical sickness. In the New Testament, the word, the Greek word for infirmities was not only physical sickness, it was feebleness of mind, Oh, now we know a lot more feeble people, infirm people, don't we? Feebleness of mind or body. It can be disease, sickness, weakness, a moral frailty, a lack of strength, a weakness in the soul. Any lack of strength, anything that causes you to struggle, to bear trials and troubles. He said, we have a great high priest who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Every time I struggle, physically, spiritually, mentally, it touches the heart of God. Every time that I come against something that makes it hard for me to bear my troubles and trials, it touches the heart of God. He said, we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, and he is touched by the things that bother and trouble and weaken and trouble you. Thank God for it. So what should my reaction be? When I realize that the great high priest, Jesus Christ, is touched by everything that I struggle with, everything that comes against me, what then should I do knowing that my great high priest feels my infirmities? The very next verse says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. We boldly approach the throne of grace because we know he cares. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I don't want to bother God with this. I ought to outgrow this. I shouldn't still be struggling with this after all these years. You boldly go to the throne because he is touched by the things that trouble you. Well, God, I've I, I have I've failed so many times. I've messed up so many times, God. I don't even feel I don't I don't have the right to ask you for help. So no, what the Bible said is he is touched by the things that are infirmities to you, and so you boldly go to the throne of grace anything that troubles you in mind, body, and spirit, you go directly to God and say, God, this is a problem for me and I need your help. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. I, had a, I was with the pastor a few months ago and we were, we were talking, he, he said he went to Brazil and on a missions trip and he said there was this young preacher that picked him up at the airport and they're driving through uh, either Rio or Sao Paulo and there's people everywhere and, and, uh, and, and he said you know these Brazilian women they were beautiful and he said that the young preacher was driving the car and they got to a red light and this, this, this beautiful woman walked by and he said and the young preacher said this is not a problem for me they drove a few more blocks and another red light and a prettier girl came by and he said this is not a problem for me they drove a few more blocks, and another, and a prettier girl walked by and said, "This one is a problem." <laughs> I don't know what troubles you. But I do know this: Whatever's troubling you, he wants you to take it to the throne of grace as your eyes are closed all over, Lord, I'm asking you, God, as we're trying to build a prayer life, God, that you would help us to understand that you are our greatest cheerleader. You're our greatest advocate. Lord, when we come to you with the same old thing, you don't roll your eyes and say, oh, Lord, here it is again. As a matter of fact, in your word, you talked about people who kept coming over and over and over for the same thing. And so, God, as we build our prayer life, help us, Lord, to remember that we've got to make it a priority. We've got to discipline ourselves to do it. We've got to make it something that we do every day. But, God, help us not to make it so rigid that we lose the fact that we are in a relationship with you. And God, when we feel like there's something we should hide from you, help us to bring it boldly before the throne of grace. I don't want to make the mistake that Adam made by hiding myself from you on things that I should be praying about. Lord, I ask you as we step forward and try to grow in grace and knowledge of you, God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to help us as we pray. It's the breath for our soul. It's our only hope. And God, I pray, Lord Jesus, for everyone that's on our property tonight, in every class, including this one, and everyone watching online, I ask you, God, to bless abundantly your people. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to convict us of the things we need conviction about. Encourage us when we need encouraged. And God, help us to open our hearts towards you and be the men and women of prayer that we're supposed to be. Help us, God, to build A prayer life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Her conference starts tomorrow night. It's going to be a great week. God bless.